Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. You shared a story several hundred times, but it never got old. You love seeing the look in the listener's face as he talked about the day when he first heard the voice. It was so real and near that, that he turned around to see who was whispering in his ear. It took almost a day to realize that the voice was coming from inside his mind. It wasn't kind either. The voice said all kinds of horrible things about himself. It would not leave him alone. Then one day, the voice took control over his own mouth. Randomly horrible and crazy things would come out of his mouth, and there was nothing he could do to stop it. He tried to explain his struggles to, to those near him, but nobody understood. He really also hoped when, when, when the new voices took control of his body to the point where people in the village, even his own parents, would chain him up in the cemetery. The message couldn't be clear. They just wanted him to die. He tried to scream, I'm the victim, but no words would come out of his mouth. Then one day, as he was walking alone along the beach, there was an unmistakable fear in the voices, a fear that he had never heard before. Something about a man named Jesus that was on the boat that he could barely see at a distance. Now, the voices pressed him to run into the hills, but he decided to stay put with both feet in the water. He had no idea that that man in that boat was going to change his life forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, we have rejoiced in that worship service here this morning. Now we are, are expecting a word from you that will strengthen us, guide us, and make us better disciples. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we are on, work, on week number three of our Made for Mission series. Uh, last, um, uh, well, two weeks ago when we started our, our series, we were talking about the fact that we are all called. Remember the story of Matthew. God, uh, Jesus approaches Matthew and says, follow me, right? And we understand that, that, that Matthew didn't just stay put. He got up and followed him. By the way, I'm so glad to see the Wilcoxes here to my right. Yes, it's so great to see you guys. Let's see. And Colton and Aaron are back there. I didn't, you know, just, just wave like here. Yeah, you go. They're from, visiting us from the Hendersonville Church. Thank you. Yeah, we were talking about, yeah, all called. Everybody's called. God has a purpose for your life. You were made for the purpose, the purpose of mission. The purpose of mission. And then last week we, we talked about, okay, now that we are in mission, now what next? And, and we looked at some of those things that distract us from being in mission. And understand that we're in mission, we decided, I hope that we all decided to say, you know, I, I acknowledge that these things I got in the way, but I don't want to let these things get in the way anymore. I want to make Jesus and his mission the priority in my life. Remember, when we make Jesus the priority, nothing else fits. Nothing else fits. But still, you know, it's so easy for us to get sidetracked, right, from our mission, uh, let everything else get, you know, Take our focus away. So this is what we're going to spend time today. And today we're going to ask the question. We're going to try to answer this question. What is my message? 
What's my message? Now that I actually live in mission, now that I, I understand that God is calling me, I understand that I, that I need to make him a priority and I've decided to do that, what's the message I need to share? Because that's, that's at the very heart of following Jesus. Now, I wonder if you're anything like me. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't expect the pastor to say this, by the way, but, but, but have you wondered why is it that at times when, when you're talking about Jesus to somebody, it's like you're talking a foreign language? Yeah. It seems like you can't get the words out. And when you try, you seem like it's, it's, you're confusing the matter more than, than you're helping, right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting because you, you talk to your neighbor, your friends, you can talk about sports and politics, who knows, anything else, and, and you're eloquent and fine, but the moment you mention God is all over. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Well, if you can relate to this, to that, uh, I hope this message today encourages you. Now, we're going to look at uh, one story from two different perspectives today. One story from two pers- different perspectives. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, and verses 1 and 2. That is our scripture reading. And then we're going to also see the same story from Luke's perspective in Luke chapter 8. But we're going to start with Mark chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When when Jesus uh, got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, now the fact that, that it says that, that they went across the region of the Gerasenes, they actually uh, uh, went across the Sea of Galilee, this is hugely significant in the story. Because, you see, the people who lived on the other side of the lake were the non-Jews. And, and, and you know, if, if you're familiar with some, some of the history, you don't associate with the non-Jews. You don't go there. In fact, uh, this can all be traced back to the Old Testament times when the Israelites uh, um, conquered the Promised Land, but they failed to drive out everybody that was there as God commanded them. And so the people that lived there were the descendants of those they didn't kick out, right? Yeah. Now here, we, we find Jesus as a, as a youth pastor. We're, we're told that the, the, especially the young, young people did not try to venture out into those areas, and so we're told by scholars that the disciples were probably between 15 and 17 years old at this point. And so Jesus is their youth pastor. Imagine that. Jesus is taking them to a place you won't go. Today, some parents would, uh, would uh, take their matters in their own hands. We don't want that anymore. But, you know, again, you remember what I said last week? What if Jesus is more about making us dangerous followers of him than by keeping us safe all the time? Dangerous followers meaning dangerous to the kingdom of Satan. And I think this is an example here. It's an example. But notice, as soon as they get out of the boat, there's this demon-possessed guy that approaches him. Now, I can imagine the disciples thinking, whoa, this place is worse than we thought. They're probably thinking, everybody in this place is just like this dude. But Jesus didn't react that way. Now, notice what happens next, verses 3 to 5. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. 
Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. You know, just because a person has rejected the gospel before does not mean that he's going to do it again. You know, sometimes we, we pass judgment on people, right? We say, well, you know, you, you, you look at the life of a person, look at the past, look at the life that person has. That just, I, ain't, I ain't going that way. I'm not telling them nothing. Or maybe you have. Maybe you've tried and you've told them about Jesus before and they showed no interest. So you, you convince yourself that, nope, why waste my time, right? But do you know, scholars say that, the, that a person... Uh, will come to Jesus, a person that doesn't know Jesus, actually comes to Jesus uh, after an average of 17 unique spiritual encounters. 17. So you never know where you fit in all that. You never know when you're going to be number 17 and bring that person to Jesus. But now, this demon-possessed guy obviously had a past. Not, not like some of you, right? Because we don't have a past, right? Well, he had a past, but that did, this is fantastic because that didn't seem to bother Jesus. Huh? Some of you have a past. Some of you can think some, 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 some crazy stuff, Mary. <laughs> Mary shared that a couple of times, but that's okay. Jesus doesn't matter. He, he don't care. It didn't bother Jesus. But now th- this scene gets intense really quickly. So, so, by the way, you never know when you're going to have an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody. So you better be ready at all times. You better be ready. Now, now let's skip over now to Luke chapter 8. This is the same story, but we're going to see it from Luke's perspective. Luke chapter 8 and verses 28 and 29. Luke chapter 8 and verses 28 and 29. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. And many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. I want you to think about what this man asked Jesus. What did he say? What do you want with me? I want you to step into this guy's life if you can for a moment. He fully expects Jesus to say something horrible to him. Think about it. This is what he's saying here. He expects some sort of torture. Now, what do you think that is? Well, because that's all he has seen in his life. That's all he has experienced. Everything has been bad in his life. The passage is, notice the passage says that he was often in chains and he would break them. So the implication here is that he was chained up and at some point he would break them and he was chained up again. Did you think he chained himself? People were chaining chaining him. And you know the sad thing about this story is that his own family probably did it. His own parents maybe chained him. How, how more clearly could you communicate the idea without killing him, really saying, I wish you were dead already. Why don't you die? Again, every more, even more painful as the family did it. Uh, so really, all this guy have ever known in his life is people that were disgusted of him. 
that thought he was, he was, he was, re, he was rejected. He was, he, they were afraid of him. And, and, and if things weren't bad enough now, he has demons inside of him. Hmm? What do you want with me, though? What do you want with me? He's prepared for the worst. But notice how Jesus responds, because this is, this is powerful how Jesus responds. Now, Jesus responds. I want to share with you three things that Jesus wanted from this demon-possessed man. Three things. Here's, here's the first one, verse 30, Luke 8, 30. Jesus asked, what is your name? What is your name? Then he responds, legion. He, he replied, because many demons have gone into him. What is your name? Now, I want you to imagine this scene because, you know, here we have this crazy dude running naked everywhere. Everybody's afraid of him. And here the disciples will be in the front and they're about back here because they don't want to have anything to do with this guy. And, and, and Jesus asks, what is your name? What does that have anything to do with it? How is that relevant to this story? Why doesn't he just tell us to get out of there? What is your name? You know, in the book, um, um, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, some of you heard this by Dale, Dale Carnegie. You heard this book? Yeah, I've read it. It's a powerful book. He says that a person is more interested in their name than in all other names on earth. A person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. The sound of someone using your, your name typically cuts through all the other noise that might be going on around you. Since birth, uh, if, if, if you, have a, a, um, you have been conditioned to respond to the sound of your name. So think about it this way. He says, how would you feel if your mother referred to you by another person's name? This is why the power of names is so important. So notice Jesus is asking him, what is your name? In, in spite of this man's past, in spite of how ugly this looked, Jesus is saying, I want to know who you are. I want to know you. And by the way, do you think Jesus needed to know him? He already knew who he was. But, but what he wanted to communicate to him is that this guy was used to everybody rejecting him, and here comes this man that wants to know who I am. He's interested in me. Imagine that. But notice that this man is so overpowered by demons that he doesn't even know his real name. He calls himself Legion. Now think about it. Can a man's life be so hopeless that, that he forgets his identity in, in God and simply refers to him maybe by the names that he has heard all along? Oh, you're worthless. You're evil. You're ugly. But notice what happens next, verses 32 and 33. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pig, and, and, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and, he, uh, and, and the herd rushed down the steep into the lake and was drowned. You know, anything apart from Jesus will lead you to death. Yeah, because Satan is not going to tell you. Satan is going to you know, make everything look peachy. So this man gets to see right in front of him where those voices of Satan were leading him all the time. They, they were leading him to death. Yeah, Satan hates you. That's, that's his plan for your life. But God has a bigger plan. Jesus has a better plan. I have come that, 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 to give you life, to give you life more abundantly, Jesus said. So the man asks, 
What do you want with me? And Jesus says, I want to know your name. I'm interested in you. I want to know who you are. That's the first thing that Jesus wants from the demon-possessed man. And the second thing is that he wants to communicate to the demon-possessed man is, I want to help you. I want to help you. Now, think about it. Everyone else would bind this man and, and keep him chained up. But Jesus wants to set him free. You know, he wants to help you too. He wants to set you free. Because maybe he knows that there are chains in your life. There are things that are keeping you down. There are things that are keeping you from rising to what God wants from you. And Jesus says, listen, I can set you free. I want to break those chains that are in you. That's what he wants. He cared infinitely more about this man than the mess he had made with his life. He didn't reject him because it was messy. And it was definitely messy, by the way. Now, there wasn't just a, a, think about this. There wasn't just a herd of pigs that drowned. This was somebody's livelihood that went down the drain, as it were. But to Jesus, this man's life was a bigger deal. It was more important. He showed that he didn't care it was messy. He, didn't, he showed that he didn't care it was popular. He didn't, he didn't care that he would take flack for it. And by the way, Jesus did take some flack for it. Yeah? Notice verses 34 and 35. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town, in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, <laughs> sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. I want you to think about this. Maybe they were so used to this guy that who knows how long he had been you know, chained up in the cemetery. Maybe they drive by and they see the guy, <laughs> that crazy dude again. They weren't afraid of anymore, but now he's sitting at Jesus' feet. He is fully dressed. He is on his mind, and now they're afraid. Go figure. This whole scene was a crazy naked dude. <laughs> he probably run around. You know, if you saw this, you'd probably you know, call the cops and arrest him for decent exposure, right? You know, I've been around the block, Mary, and I've seen some crazy stuff in, in, in some of these big cities. Yeah. Now, listen, I'm not saying if you saw this, you should run and give him a hug. <laughs> but, but the point here is that Jesus sees this, sees this guy differently. Yeah. Now, the man now has clothes. Remember, this was a naked dude running around the neighborhood, uh, chained in, on the cemetery, and, and, and once in a while he would get out and they'll chain him again. And, and, and now he has clothes. Where do, where do you get the clothes from? Well, I, you know, I'm just guessing, but I'm, I'm assuming he got it either from Jesus or, or one of the disciples, right? So, so notice here, Jesus cared about this guy's reputation. He cared about his reputation. He cared about how people saw him. So what do you want with me, he asks. Jesus says, I, I want to know your name. I want to know who you are. I want to know everything about you. And I want to help you. That's the second thing. And the third thing is, I want a relationship with you. A relationship with that guy. But that's what Jesus says. And, and, and as a man sits at Jesus' feet, uh, uh, you know, what, what do they talk about? 
What do they talk about right now? You know, I'm guessing that this guy is probably thinking in his mind, you know, so, so, so who are you and, and how can I be saved? But now notice verse 36 and 37. Those who had seen it told how the demon-possessed man had been cured. So, so again, they see this guy now. They know who he was. He's, he was naked. He's crazy. Now sitting at Jesus' feet. He's, he's with it now, and, and, and they're afraid. They, they, they know something happened to him. But notice, then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So they got into the boat and left. You know, some people aren't ready for the, the transformation that God wants to do in your life. Amen. You may have been the, the scum of the universe, but God has transformed you, and, and they can't understand it, and, and, and they're afraid of that, what can, the, the, the thing that they can't understand. But that, the God that we have wants to transform us, wants to change us. Now, this is crazy in a couple of levels, because the people, uh, obviously the people weren't ready. But notice that Jesus did not try to reason with them. Jesus doesn't try to argue with them. Jesus doesn't, doesn't all of a sudden take the demons out of the pigs and, and, and puts them on them as a, as, as a way of punishment. Jesus doesn't do a miracle and brings the pigs back to the ground. No. He says, okay. And he left. He left. Now here's, a, here's even the crazier implication of this. Remember... Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee with his disciples to this place. Nobody goes to that place. Nobody goes to that place. Jesus came all the way to the other side, to the place where nobody goes for this guy, for one guy. Now, now if you read the story before it, you know the story that, that on their way there in, in the Sea of Galilee, there was a storm and the disciples almost got killed because Jesus wanted to reach this one guy. Huh. Jesus thought, he believed, that this one demon-possessed guy was worth it. He was worth it. Jesus, at some point, God believed that you were worth it, Henry. Carl, you are worth it. That person that you've been working up the nerve to share something spiritual with, that person is worth it. That, that person that you've been praying for, that you're working up the nerve this week to take an invitation for a discovering revelation, that person's worth it. Get out, go out of your way. Jesus went out of his way to, for this one guy. Can we get out of our way and go to, to somebody that's worth it? Somebody that you want to see in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 38 and 39, the, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, uh, with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, at first, this seems pretty cold. You know, the guy wants to go with Jesus, and, and, and he had a good reason. I mean, why stay around in this land? What kind of reputation he had there? Everybody knew who he was. Maybe he's thinking, even though I am chained, they, they, they remember me running naked across the neighborhood. They don't want anything to do with me. He wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus rejects him. Well, that's not entirely accurate. Because the word that says, uh, the Bible says here that he sent him away. Now, this is deep right here, friends. 
Because we were talking about this at prayer meeting this past Wednesday. Because sometimes we say, well, you know, I, I know this is important. Witnessing, sharing is important. But, but remember the butts last week? You know, we, we, all have, we talked about that we have big butts. Oh, but, but yeah, I just need a little training. Uh, 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 and listen, I, I'm all for training and, and, and helping and, and finding ways and teaching how to witness, all those things. But, but I want you to think about this. This guy hasn't been Christian for five minutes. And Jesus is already sending him in mission. Amen. Some of us will argue, well, listen, man, he needs to go to AFCO first. He needs to go to Southern and get some classes. Pastor, why don't you hold a seminar before you teach him? No, Jesus sends him in a mission. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. But, but, but this demoniac, or former demoniac, he goes far above and beyond what Jesus tells him because he not only goes home and tells his parents, by the way, his parents probably chained him in the cemetery too, but he goes and tells his parents and his brothers and his family what Jesus done for them, but then he doesn't stop there. He goes through the whole region and tells what God had done. Five minutes as a Christian. So now you, you understand that, that, that God has called you to mission. That, that is what he's called you. That's, that's the purpose for your life. Follow me, Jesus said. And you decided, yes, you know, I want to get up the chair. I, I want to be like Matthew. Matthew didn't stick around to think about it. He got up and followed him. And you came to the, to, to, to the conclusion that this, that, the other is getting in my way from me and me and in mission. But I don't want that anymore in my life. I want to make Jesus a priority in my life. So now what is my message, you ask? It is so simple. What has God done for you? That's the message. How has God's love impacted your life? All of us can say that. Everyone has a story. Can you do that? Is that that difficult? What has God done in my life? But let me, let me, let me show you something else really cool. Because remember, it, from, from Matthew's perspective, the, 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 Matthew's context, he, this story takes place in Mark chapter 5. So when you go back to Mark, now in Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, verse 31 says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and, si and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of Decapolis. So notice, Jesus and his disciples, they risked their lives to get to this one guy in that region. And, and he changes this guy's life, transforms him, and sends him on mission. And then, of course, remember, the people were mad at him, and they were afraid because of the pig situation. And, and Jesus says, okay, he left. But he comes back. Sometime later, he comes back. And when you go to Mark chapter 8, you read the story of the 4,000 that he fed in that region. Now, this has this 4,000 men, but if you count the, the women and the children, there's probably like 10,000 people there. Now, now, let me ask you this. Now, these people that had asked Jesus to leave because they were afraid, and now there's 10,000 people there, what do you think made the difference? Who made the difference? <laughs> There's no other explanation. The former demon-possessed guy, yeah, he probably went and shared with everyone. He probably shared with the very people that cuffed him to the, to the chains into the cemetery left him to die. Because the message was just so too good to, to keep to himself. He had to tell somebody. His past relationships didn't matter anymore. 
You see, friends, you have no idea the impact you're going to have when you are like this demoniac and you decide, I want to share what Jesus has done in my life because the news is just too good. I can't keep it to myself. He took the most, <laughs> the craziest, most insecure, with, with, with such a horrible past guy to start a revival. See, you and I, we, we convince ourselves, no, no, you know, I know it's important, but I need additional. I can't do this. I, I'm shy. I'm an introvert. I, I just don't have what it takes. I can't talk to people about God's goodness. It's not, it's not for me, Pastor. It's just not, I'm not just in, in it. It's not my thing. Let me, let me ask you a question. Are you known from running naked around the neighborhood and, and that you're so out of control that you've got to be chained on the radiator in your house? Are you known for that? Well, if you're not known for that, then you have far less to overcome than this guy that was such a demoniac. And Jesus used him to be, and what he did, he was one of those people that caused the great, one of the greatest revivals that are written in Scripture. This one guy. And if God can use this one guy, there's no excuse. He will use you too. He will use you too. Now, John Wesley, he was uh, the co-founder of the Methodist Church, he was an Anglican cleric and a theologian. He became an itinerant revivalist preacher. He was a fellow of Lincoln College in Oxford, and he was exempt from the parish boundaries, so he didn't have a church. And so, without a parish of his own, he, uh, uh, he said that he, welcomed, uh, uh, he wasn't welcome in, other, in the churches because there were other priests there, so he decided to make the world his, his church, as it were. And in a letter that he, he wrote to uh, a man by the name of James Harvey in March 20, 1739, John Wesley declared, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hmm? The whole world. That's just a saying, the whole world is my mission field, right? Thus far I mean that in whatever part of it I am, I judge it meet right in my bounden duty to declare unto all who are willing to hear the glad tidings of salvation. And you know what it said that in his lifetime, Wesley traveled almost 250,000 miles, mostly on horseback, and preached more than 40,000 sermons all outside because he didn't have a church. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of history with John Wesley. So what about you? What about you? I think, friends, what we need to do is simply stop saying, I can't, and say, God can. Stop saying, I can't, and say, God can. Because God has called you, and if he's called you, he's already decided to empower you. You already have the Holy Spirit. If you have the power, listen, you're keeping the power to yourself when the power is meant to, to, to enable you to, to proclaim this message to us. Because you are in mission. That is my message. A message that we have been redeemed. This man was redeemed by Jesus. And, and, and the news was so great that he had to tell everyone. How about you? You've been redeemed as well. Amen. And if you've been redeemed, let's tell others about it. And let's Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.